Okay, so when we left on, today's Monday, when we left on Friday, we had finished talking about immunoglobulin molecules and talking about how we're going to get the diversity in immunoglobulin molecules and how immunoglobulin molecules are formed and how many we could possibly have and how we're going to form them, right? We're taking little pieces. So we've sort of wrapped up the immunoglobulin part of looking at the big three molecules of the immune system immunoglobulin molecules, MHC molecules, and then T-cell receptors. So today, we're going to start working on MHC molecules, major histocompatibility complex molecules. Okay. So, major histocompatibility complex, MHC, right? Histocompatibility, how, how tissues get along with each other, right? They have to play nice with each other. And the MHC are basically a cluster of genes whose protein products are involved with everything we've been talking about so far, intracellular communication and self-non-self -self discrimination. Okay. So they basically are the second major player of molecules of the acquired immune system. So we really didn't know so much about these molecules until the 1930s or so. All right, so studies in that part of the decade suggested that rejection of foreign tissue was going to be governed by cell surface molecules. And this all started when people figured out about red blood cell antigens, right? About blood groups. You're either blood group A or B or AB, you're a universal recipient, or O, you're a universal donor. So before this time, people weren't really sure what was going on when we did transplants. And those early transplants had to do with the transplantation of blood. So you don't think so much of, of blood as a transplant, but it is, since blood, the circulatory system, is a major tissue, is one of the major organs in everybody's individual bodies. People couldn't figure out why we couldn't just freely exchange blood products. Right? Somebody comes in, to a, into an ER, they're hurt, you have to give them some more blood. Why couldn't we just give that person some blood? Because blood is blood. Okay. It was the discovery of red blood cell antigens where this was going to be able to take place. And it was this discovery that was going to lead to yet another Nobel Prize. So these are the different antigens. We have O antigens or A antigens or B antigens on the surface of red blood cells. And they are right, these uh, glycoproteins that sit on the surface of the red blood cell. So if you're a blood donor, if you have blood group A, you can only get blood from, a, from another A person or maybe an AB person. If you're B, you can only get blood from a B or an AB. If you're an AB, you can only get blood from an AB. So that's why the ABs in this point of, of here are universal recipients. And if, you're a, and if you're blood O, you can basically transplant to anybody because you don't have any right, of these sort of extra parts of the antigens on there. You have the basic makeup of every one of the red blood cell antigens themselves. So it was these studies that led to what, we were, what we're going to talk about with the MHC molecule. And then people just sort of figured out, well, not figured out, but if it makes sense, that red blood cells have these antigens and they're involved with the ability not to be rejected or not to have the immune system involved with the destruction of the tissues. 
then maybe there was some sort of commonality to all the tissues in the body, that every other cell in the body had some sort of molecule on the surface that was going to be involved with regulation or crosstalk and communication of the immune system. Right? And that's exactly what was going to be able to take place. So people started doing a bunch of basic transplantation assays to be able to investigate the molecules on the surface. So there's a bunch of different studies that were done, and the first studies that were done in terms of transplantation were taking self-tissue, transplanted from one site to another site on the same individual. This is an autograft, right? Auto meaning the same. So if you, you know, have some sort of accident and you have a big scar or maybe you have a, a burn on one part of your body, you can go and you can remove skin from another part of your body, maybe where it's not going to be so visible to anybody, right? maybe on, uh, on part of your upper part of your legs or in other different places, and you can transplant that tissue anywhere you want to on the body, and nothing's going to happen. Because right? you're just taking antigens from one place and you're putting it onto the other place, if you're going to go to medical school and you're going to be a transplantation, or you're going to be a surgeon, right? you're going to do a lot of sort of your practice, let's say, on other animals. Right? Better that you practice on an animal and when you're a surgeon than you just walk into the, your first surgical rotation and say, okay, do a kidney transplant. Right? So you're going to go and you're going to maybe take that dog or you're going to take that cat and you're going to perfect your, your tools, perfect your techniques by maybe transplanting skin or maybe transplanting a kidney. And that way, if you're going to make that transplant, it's going to be your skill that's going to make a difference in that transplant and not the immune system. So if you transplant the kidney and you don't make the right suture and blood loss or you don't, you know, you technically don't do the transplant, you technically don't do the surgery the right way, that's going to be the, the compelling reason why the animal wasn't going to be able to make it through, not because there was any sort of immune sort of consequences that were going to take place. Right? So these are autografts. You can have an isograft, and an isograft right, is a graft between genetically identical individuals. So if, you're, so if you are lucky enough to be a twin, means you have a nice supply of any sort of organs that you may need at one point in time if your twin is so inclined to, to transplant between you because basically an isograft is an autograft because right, it's basically the same thing only it's going between genetically identical individuals. So the one that we all know about and the ones that we read about right, are allografts, grafts from another individual of your own species. So at least once a year, you'll see on the news program, or maybe you'll read in the in the newspaper, right? When it probably on the news when it sweeps weeks, when they really have to get their ratings up, right? There's always this, oh, a husband transplanted a kidney, maybe to you know to the wife or something. Oh, you know, he loved me so much, she gave me a kidney, right? That just happens to be, you know, because they did the tests and just at random, right? There were enough similarities between the tissues of those two individuals that this graft was going to be able to be a successful graft. 
But this is the one you always hear about, people waiting for kidney transplants or heart transplants. Right? So graphs from another individual of your own species. And then the last one to sort of round it out right, is a xenograft. Right? Xeno means you're afraid of it. A graft of tissues from another species. So you don't think so much about, you know, why would we want to make a graft of another species? Well, there have been some cases in the medical literature, right, a couple of years, a couple of decades ago maybe, baby Faye. She was a, an infant child who needed a heart transplant and there were really no sort of donor organs out there. So the physicians transplanted in a baboon heart in hopes to try to just, you know, keep the little girl, well, she's really a baby, alive until another transplant or another individual came, you know, onto the transplant lists where perhaps they could do a, a transplant to save her life. Right? So they just tried right, a baboon heart and it lasted for a couple of weeks, but it, in the end it just, you know, they just had to have a different species. The other part about xenografts are there are a lot of biotechnology companies out there right now whose, whose sort of business plan is to raise pigs for human transplants. Okay? So the pig heart is about the same size, right? Your heart is about as big as your, as your fist. So uh, an adult pig heart is about the same size as a human heart. The physiology and the makeup of the pig heart is very close to the human heart. So there are companies out there who are changing, right, in the genome of pigs. First thing they're, they're trying to change is the, these antigens right here to be able to make human antigens on pig red blood cells. And they're also trying to change pig MHC molecules into human MHC molecules. And they, they say that they're really, really close. Now, I'm not going to get into the ethical sort of argument there, right, as to why should we raise pigs that we're just going to be able to sacrifice to give us hearts and kidneys and, right, I come down on the side of, I think it's a pretty good idea, but, right, it's the same argument that I guess, you know, some individuals would make for why should we be eating animals. But that's, you know, that's up for people to decide what you want to do. But the business plan there is, and they're really close to having basically not custom hearts, but hearts that you could use for transplant. That way we wouldn't have to have people waiting on transplant lists. We wouldn't have to have uh, individuals dying because there are no organs out there for transplant. All right? But again, it's called, it's going to be called, you know, tissues from another species, but we're modifying so much of that pig genome, that pig immune system, that it's basically almost, well, not quite an isograft, but closer to an allograft than it's going to be to a xenograft. So when you think about sort of basic transplantation, right, if the, the easiest one you could probably think about would be your parents. So your parents' sort of genetic background is going to be different between each other. I hope. If it's not, you've got a different problem. But your parents are going to be a little bit different, right? So you and the F1 generation, your parents couldn't transplant between each other. You couldn't give back to your mom or you couldn't give back to your dad. But there could be some probability of maybe receiving uh, some sort of, of, a, of a transplant from your mom or from your dad. 
Right? And we'll talk about transplantation later on in more detail. But for today, right, this is sort of basic enough transplantation to sort of move forward now with looking at MHC molecules. Okay, so, what are MHC molecules? Well, the first thing we know about them is that we've done a lot of experiments with inbred mice. Okay? And inbred mice are all homozygote for each MHC locus. Right? means that they're genetically identical animals. They've been bred for decades to have the same MHC so that if you're doing a, an experiment in your immunology laboratory and you want to change some parameter of the immune system and you need a bunch of, of individuals in your study group, you don't have to worry about those individuals being different so that changes in their MHC molecules or changes in the basic sort of recognition of their immune system isn't going to change from individual mouse to individual mouse to individual mouse. Right? It's like getting genetically ident well it is, it's not like getting, it is getting genetically identical individuals as far as their MHC molecules are concerned. So that means any manipulation you're doing to the immune system, the results that you're getting from your study has nothing to do with the MHC molecule or, or differences that the MHC might give to your results or to your, or to your studies. And the other part about these inbred mice is that they're so routinely available these days that if you, are, if you go to some sort of animal provider Right? There's a whole bunch of different scientific providers out there who will provide animals to scientific researchers. So if you get a certain mouse from one supplier, that mouse is going to be identical to the same mouse, well not the same mouse, but the same type of mouse that you're getting from another supplier. So a supplier, you know, perhaps in New York, that mouse is the, exactly the same to the mouse from that supplier in Paris, is exactly the same from that mouse from the supplier in Tokyo. Right? So all these mice are identical, and they've been bred that way. So that we use a lot of inbred mice in experiments when you want to look at the MHC or you want to look at differences between individuals themselves because of their immune system. Because of close linkages, right? MHC genes are inherited as a complete set. It's called the haplotype. And the haplotype is all the MHC molecules from your mom and all the MHC molecules from your dad. Right? Now, depending upon what allele is going to be chosen, it becomes your MHC. Okay? But you're going to get all of your mom's MHC molecules, and you're going to get all of your dad's MHC molecules. So right off the bat, <clears throat> that should tell you that looking at these MHC molecules, and because we can have these haplotypes, the, the makeup and the, and the sort of the production of these MHC molecules are going to be totally different than what we just talked about with immunoglobulin molecules. Because those immunoglobulin molecules, if you remember, we're taking little pieces and we're making an individual protein, we're making an individual piece of DNA here, right? You're going to get all of those genes. So they're going to come across and then you're going to rearrange them and, you know, your allele is going to be there. But you're getting all of them. So there's enough space in the genome to have these MHC molecules, right? So if your parents, right, have a bunch of children, 
you can get all sort of different combinations of, right, depending upon which one's going to be chosen for the alleles. So you can get all sorts of different, but you're going to get an entire haplotype from your mom, sorry, an entire haplotype from your dad, an entire haplotype from your mom, right? So they come across in that big block of DNA. The other thing we know is that the MHC antigens themselves are encoded by several hundred different loci. Means there are hundreds of different MHC molecules. And these molecules themselves are the second most mutable genes known in nature. That means that, they're the, that they are the most polymorphic. So we can have the, mo the most differences in these proteins as they are appearing on the surface of your cells. So polymorphic differences, right? The same way we talked about having a, an entire repertoire of immunoglobulin molecules. Because they're so different, we need to have an entire repertoire of MHC molecules, right? So that's why they are very mutable. So we can get a lot of differences in those MHC molecules, a lot of differences in the diversity of those MHC molecules for the same reasons, so we can respond to, hopefully, an unlimited amount of pathogens. Okay? They're the second most mutable genes known in nature. A couple of years ago, this slide said they were the most mutable genes known in nature. But a couple of years ago, people were doing some studies of cone snails. Cone snails are a tropical mollusk, right? and they have this, they're gastropods, they're, uh, they're gastropods, and they eat other gastropods or other fish. And they have this little dart that comes out, and it stings the fish, right? and then it, it paralyzes the fish, and then they consume the fish. And it is those proteins, those poison proteins in the dart of these cone snails that are the most mutable genes known nowadays. And they have to be that way because if they ever lose their ability to poison fish, they're not going to be able to eat those fish. Right? So they have, they're constantly mutating so the fish don't develop any sort of immunity to the toxins of the cone snail. Right? So they are the most mutable, but they still are the most mutable gene in mammals, so we're still over there, right? And that's going to lead to as much variation as we need, right? The same sort of variation we talked about with immunoglobulin molecules. So, with some more sort of MHC background, any one individual is going to express only a small number of MHC molecules up to six different class one and 12 different class two molecules. Don't worry about that. We'll talk about class one and class two in a minute, right? So there's only going to be, right, a certain amount of these MHC molecules on your cells, but because, right, you get an MHC from your mom and an MHC from your dad, and they're going to be mutating so much, we're going to get that much variation. So from those hundreds of different sort of potential MHC molecules on our surface, yeah, we only have about 20 or so on the surface. Now, that doesn't mean 20 individual MHC molecules, right? The same way that if you have a certain receptor on the surface of the cell, you can have thousands of copies of that receptor on the cell. So you can have thousands of copies of MHC molecules. It's just that you're only going to have a limited few from those hundreds that are going to be potentially at your disposal. So in the human, 
The MHC is known as, right, the HLA, human leukocyte antigen locus. Again, this came about because when people, right, they went from red blood cells to white blood cells, so they were looking at human leukocytes, and it was later that people found that these MHC molecules are on every single cell in the body, and it's located, the, uh, the, the HLA locus is located on chromosome number six. In the mouse, it's known as the H2 locus, and again, for historical reasons, people were investigating mice and they were investigating humans at sort of the same time, right? So they didn't come up with the same sort of nomenclature. So HLA in the humans, H2 in the mouse, and it's located on the similar chromosome, chromosome 17. So again, we have a little bit of evolutionary continuity going on in terms of them themselves. So. MHC is the most gene-dense region in the entire genome of mammals. There are more genes in the MHC per, I don't know, per square millimeter, I don't know, per kilobase, let's say. The density of the genes are the most of any region in mammals. And in terms of the genes themselves, Right? They are the most dense. In humans, we have about, right, so there are several hundred, so there's about 140 different MHC molecules. But in chickens, for example, chickens only have about 19 MHC molecules. Right? So, go figure. Right? There are differences in the mammals themselves, right? Chickens seem to be okay, right? They're alive and well, and I'm sure Mr. Purdue puts lots of money into chicken MHC molecules, right? So there are, right, there are reasons right, to sort of study the differences between birds and mammals, or between chickens and, and humans. Right? Variation in the human MHC are probably the most likely genes that are linked to susceptibility to more common diseases than any other region in the genome. If you have some sort of genetic defect in your MHC molecules, you are going to be predisposed to certain diseases. And again, that's just our genetic history, right, over the last hundreds and hundreds of thousands of years. We can sort of see these things. So MHC-associated diseases include, us, include almost all of the autoimmune diseases. We haven't really talked about autoimmune diseases because we haven't really talked about the immune system going wrong. Right? So far, all we've been talking about is the immune system attacking, 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 recognizing, recognizing pathogens. But things can go wrong with the immune system, where the immune system will turn on, right, on its own self. So autoimmune, right, the ability of the immune system to attack your own tissues. And it is these differences in MHC, or these defects in the MHC, that are going to be involved with these autoimmune diseases. So when you think about MHC localized genes, right, Diabetes, type 1 diabetes, is a main sort of disease now that people are looking at as having some sort of effect from changes or differences in MHC molecules. So there's a lot of work going on these days in terms of MHC molecules. So, right, enough of the, let's get right to it. So, what are MHC molecules? Well, MHC genes are organized into regions encoding three different classes of molecules. So the first one is class one. 
They're cell surface glycoproteins of nearly all nucleated cells, and they present peptides of an altered self or viral self necessary for T cell, cytotoxic T cell activation. All right, so let's back up. Let's sort of get to this. So, cell surface glycoproteins. Got a lot of cell surface glycoproteins in the body, so having cell surface glycoproteins is no big deal, right? Immunoglobulin, right, that antigen receptor on the surface is a glycoprotein. We got all sorts of carbohydrates on the surface of the cell, so that's no big deal, right? Of nearly all nucleated cells, right? and I'm saying nearly all nucleated cells, because things like sperm and egg and, you know, they nucleated, yeah, but, you know, they really don't sort of come into, uh, come into play here. But things like sperm and egg don't have uh, MAC on the cell surface, right? All nucleated cells, so things like red blood cells don't have MHC molecules on the cell surface because they're not nucleated. But almost every other cell in your body has an MHC class 1 molecule on it. And it is those MHC molecules on the surface of those cells that your immune system is going to recognize. So the immune system, and in ways that we'll talk about, right, is going to be able to read information of these class 1 MHC molecules and then decide if that cell is going to live or if that cell is going to die. So it's really class 1 MHC molecules all due respect to my colleagues in the philosophy department, but class 1 MHC molecules are what make you, you. There ain't nobody else in the world that looks like, unless you have a twin, right? ain't nobody else in the whole world that looks like you in terms of your class 1 MHC molecules. It's what make you, you to your immune system and to other people's immune system. Okay? So, class 1 on all nucleated cells, and they're going to present peptides of altered self or viral peptides necessary for cytotoxic T cell activation. We talked about right, viral peptides. We talked about the immune system being terrified of viruses. So here's sort of a, any, other, any, any cell in the body on the surface is going to have an MHC class 1 molecule. There's going to be a cytotoxic T cell. We haven't talked a lot about cytotoxic T cells. We talked a little bit about cytotoxic T cells, right? That they're CD8 positive cells, and they're capable of destroying other cells. This is where it's going to all come in for their, for their ability to destroy other cells. So these cytotoxic T cells are going to be able to read information of the MHC molecules and decide if this cell is going to live or if this cell is going to die. If something goes wrong and this cytotoxic T cell starts killing a whole bunch of cells, then you've got a problem. Then you have an autoimmune disease. But in sort of normal day-to-day -day functioning, so let's say a virus is here, that virus is going to enter that cell, and now this cell is going to be a virus factory. Okay? So again, you're on the subway, somebody sneezes, it comes inside, those viruses start attacking right, your nasal mucosal cells. So that virus is only going to be visible to the immune system for a very short amount of time. From between the time when that virus enters your body 
until it starts infecting cells, it can be only minutes. Once this virus infects this cell, this cell is going to turn into a virus factory. A little while later, this cell is going to be full of mature viruses. It's going to rupture. And all those progeny viruses are now going to be spreading around. And it's going to be quickly being taken up and infecting other cells. And again, not going to be available to be recognized by the immune system. Another cell breaks, more virus goes, that infects other cells, breaks, infects other cells, breaks, infects other cells. Immune system, probably maybe by that time, right, we're making some antibodies, something's going to be able to take place, but we have a way to knock out that cell. We have a way for this cell to put on its cell surface some sort of distress signal that says, kill me now before I infect my other friends in the nose right here. Don't allow me to turn into a virus factory. Kill me now. That's how terrified we are of, of viruses. We're so terrified of viruses that we're going to give the immune system permission to destroy a normal cell. Now, you're saying, well, it's not a normal cell anymore because it's a virally infected cell. Yeah, but if there was a way to remove the viruses, it would just be a normal cell. Right? So, a signal is going to be put onto the surface that is going to tell this cytotoxic T cell, kill me now. Right? It's going to present a peptide. So what it's going to do is, as that virus has hijacked the cell, right, and it's taken over all sort of protein synthesis, and the viral proteins are building up and building up before assembly of the progeny viruses starts to take place, some of those peptides, some of those viral proteins are going to be broken down into peptides and they're going to be put on the surface of this MHC class 1 molecule so that this cytotoxic T cell can recognize them. Now, the other part about this that, we're, that we really don't know so much about is what does that MHC class 1 molecule look like in a non-virally infected cell? Right? It's sort of easy for us to, to get a grip on, oh, that's no problem. I'm going to put a, a red ribbon on the surface of this cell, right? I'm going to put a big old neon sign on the cell that says, kill me now. How are these cytotoxic T cells right, going to deal with a cell that's not virally infected? What's the signal for this cytotoxic T cell to leave this cell, right, this question mark cell that has that same MHC molecule on the surface, what's the signal for this cytotoxic T cell to leave that cell alone? Hmm. We're not quite sure. Right? There are two sort of hypotheses that are kicking around. Right? So one of them is that there is a peptide up here that's called the self-peptide. So a toxic T cell sees that self-peptide on the surface, leave that cell alone. What's the self-peptide? Oh, I don't know. There are lots and lots of different candidates of self-peptides that people have found that may fit the bill, but that doesn't fit the bill the entire time. The other hypothesis is, right, that this cell 
doesn't put anything in its MHC class 1 molecule. It doesn't present any kind of peptide to the immune system. So if there's nothing there, the cytotoxic T cell, right, I'm not giving human-like characteristics to the T cell, right, so this cytotoxic T cell decides to ignore that because there's nothing there that's an activation signal. There's nothing there that's a signal that says, kill me. So lack of, a sig lack of an activation signal is the normal standard for cells that in the body that are just routine, day-to-day, non-virally infected, non-tumorigenic, right? Because you could think that perhaps I could put some sort of tumor-altered protein up here too. So if this was a virally infected cell, or just a tumor cell, the immune system might be able to recognize it. So if I have nothing there, or whatever this, air quotes, this self-peptide is, ignore. If I have, a, if I have, if I have some sort of tumor, anth a tumor peptide, whatever that might be, a lot of people are trying to track that one down, or a viral peptide, destroy the cell. And that's what the class 1 molecules are doing. So every single cell in your body has the ability to alert the immune system that something is wrong. And it's all carried out by class 1 MHC molecules. Okay? So that's class 1. Class 2 molecules are totally different. A class II molecule is a cell surface protein of antigen-presenting cells that are going to present processed antigen to T-helper cells. All right, break it down. Cell surface glycoproteins, big deal, right? We already have class ones. We got a whole bunch of other ones, blah, 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 blah. It doesn't matter. Class II are only found on antigen-presenting cells. Antigen-presenting cells are cells that can present antigen. Right? So, in general, that sort of definition is any phagocytic cell has a class II MHC molecule on the surface, and it's going to be able to present antigens to T helper cells, CD4 positive cells. Right? So, if this is our little model for CD8 positive cells, Right? So the toxic T cells, we got to have a model for helper T cells, right? So CD4 positive T helper cells, right? What's their model? All right, so here's our little friend, the bacteria, right? We're going to kill this bacteria again. We've been killing this bacteria all semester. Okay, we'll put some antibody molecules on it, right? We already took test number one. We'll put some complement molecules on it, you know, yada, 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 everything we need here. Here comes our macrophage, which is a phagocytic cell. Right? Macrophage, I don't care how it recognizes it. It's going to recognize it with its FC receptors. It's going to recognize it with its complement receptors. It's going to be able to recognize it just because it's a foreign pathogen. Right? What's that phagocytic cell going to do? It's going to phagocytose it. Now we have our phagolysosome here. We're going to destroy this, right? Just like we talked about with phagocytosis, we're going to destroy this. As we're destroying it, we are taking proteins here, and we're denaturing those proteins. We're destroying those proteins. We're going to take certain peptides from those proteins, and we're going to put them right up here. 
with our MHC class II molecules. The macrophages, the phagocytic cells, right, the macrophages, the dendritic cells, whatever we're talking about, have recognized that as being an invader. They are now broadcasting to the immune system, hey, hey, fellas, I got one. We're in big trouble. I just found the bacteria. Come here, come over here. Here, this is, this is, the, this is the peptide that I found. T helper cells are going to now come over here. They're going to be able to recognize that peptide. And now they're going to deliver help to the immune system. And the help they're going to deliver are probably, right, they're going to release cytokines. They're going to release chemical messengers. And these cytokines will be able to stimulate more macrophages. These cytokines are going to be critical to stimulate B cells. Right? Because remember, some of these B cells are probably in the area, and as these digested bacterial proteins are being released from these macrophages, they're probably going to be able to recognize with their antigen-presenting cells some of these peptides, so they're going to be stimulated to start releasing all sorts of antibody molecules to be able to do this so more macrophages can be involved. Okay? So we've just united Right, this non-specific aspect of the immune system with this very specific aspect of the immune system. So those phagocytic cells are out there, they're patrolling the tissue spaces, they're in the lymph nodes, they're in the spleens, they're every place we talked about when we talked about the lymphoid system. They're out there recognizing and destroying any pathogen they can come into contact with, and now they're alerting their other comrades of the immune system we got a problem, and this is the problem, right? Which is going to identify this, this invader right here. So these are MHC class II molecules, right? On every antigen presenting cell, and they're going to present that antigen, and I know we haven't talked about presenting antigens yet, but we will. They're going to present that antigen to T helper cells. So that's one part of the MHC region, the second part of the MHC region, and then there's a third part of the MHC region, which is everything else. That's stuff we don't have a pretty good handle on. Oh yeah, we got MHC class one molecules, we got MHC class two molecules, and then we have a whole bunch of other immune-related proteins that have nothing to do with the MHC, but they're part of our family because they're immune-related proteins. So some complement proteins are part of the class three, right? Different cytokine molecules are part of the class of part of the class three, or that's where their genes are. And we have a whole bunch of other proteins that are going to be involved with, right? This sort of making these peptides, right? From these proteins to these peptides, and we'll talk about those in great detail on Wednesday. Right, so, class 1, class 2, class 3. So CD4 positive T cells, those T helper cells, recognize foreign antigens bound to self-class 2 MHC molecules. And CD8 positive T cells are going to recognize foreign antigens bound to self-class 1 MHC molecules. So, put up our picture worth a thousand words. So, here's a virally infected cell. This virally infected cell 
has placed on its MHC class 1 molecule, right? It's a nucleic, clearly that's a nucleus, so this is a nucleated cell. So it has a class 1 molecule on it, like all the other nucleated cells in the body do. It's not an antigen-presenting cell, so there's no class 2 MHC molecules on the surface. It has now put this viral peptide up here, and these cytotoxic T cells are now going to destroy this virally infected cell. Here's the CD8 molecule. We haven't talked about the T cell receptor, but here it is, right? That's why we got to talk about MHC molecules before we can talk about T cell receptors. So here are cytotoxic T cells destroying a virally infected cell. If, on the other hand, we had another sort of panel to this cartoon, we could do the same exact thing here. We could copy and paste this. The only thing we would do would, would be one of two things. We would change the color right, of that peptide to a different color to show the self-peptide, or we would make it so that there's nothing in there and these cytotoxic T-cells would leave this cell alone because it wouldn't be virally infected, so they'd leave it alone. So that's class one. Here is a macrophage, okay, and you can tell it's a macrophage because it has some granules perhaps. So here's our macrophage, here's our class two MHC molecule. This macrophage has already engulfed an invader. It is now presenting the peptide on its class II MHC molecule to these T helper cells. Mm. Artists took a couple of different tacks that I might not have taken. Right? Maybe I would have made the peptide a different color, but right? this just shows that it's some sort of antigenic peptide. I don't think the, we're, we're saying that this peptide is exactly this peptide. It's just identifying the peptide, right? So this is a peptide from a recently phagocytosed and consumed invader. So these T helper cells are there, right? They're gonna be stimulated to deliver help. Because this is a macrophage and it does have a nucleus, absolutely we have MAC class one molecules on the cell surface. They're not involved with any information that's going on here at present because this T cell receptor on the surface of this helper T cell is responding to this MHC class II molecule. If, on the other hand, right, two minutes later, this cell becomes infected with some sort of virus or it turns tumorigenic, then absolutely these peptides are now going to be viral peptides or tumorigenic pep peptides, right? And these cytotoxic T cells are now going to be able to recognize those peptides on the class I MHC molecules. Question? So the cell on the left-hand side has not a virus cell? That guy, yeah. No. No, that's a regular old nose cell or a whatever, right? Part of your mucosal cell. That's just a representative nucleated cell anywhere in the body. Right here? Well, this peptide that this is presenting here is a virally, let's say, right, this is a virus-infected cell. So this is some kind of viral peptide. And even though, right, it's the same color over here, Again, the, the key here just says antigenic peptide. It doesn't say it's the same peptide. But over here, this peptide, because it's being presented by an MHC class II molecule, has to be part of proteins from this phagocytosed invader. Well, if it, right, if it's, let's say the peptide is, let's say this cell has turned somehow tumorigenic, it's transformed into a tumor cell that could be perhaps a 
peptide, a tumorigenic peptide that the immune system is going to be able to recognize, right? We've got lots of companies out there trying to figure out what they are. We've got some kind of a clue, but we, we're really, you know, a million miles away from knowing that yet. Or just a se whatever the self-peptide is. We'll talk about it now. I mean, hopefully, where's my piece of wood? My bone marrow is still pouring out lots and lots and lots of T cells, right? Yeah, there are differences between how our T cells, and I'm using all of us as the our because we're all over six years old or four years old, I'm assuming, as I look out, right? So our T cells are a lot different than the way our T cells were when we were in utero or when we were in infants, but we're still making T cells somehow. And we'll talk about that when we talk about T cell education. Okay? So, we have all this MHC sort of stuff going on. Right? Back to some more sort of common features. Right? So there are common features in the genetic organization of MHC genes. So, for the human leukocyte antigen, Locus, we have HLAA, B, and C, and they resemble mouse H2K and H2D, so they're all class 1 molecules. And then we have HL1, DP, DQ, and DR, and they resemble mouse IA and IE, they're all class 2 molecules. Why are we talking about this? Because if this was a class in MHCology, right, we would have to be able to describe all of those 140 different proteins, right? So if I was talking about a certain protein, right, a certain class II molecule in the HLA, right, genes, we would need to be able to, right, we'd need some sort of nomenclature to zoom in on that particular gene or that particular protein that I was talking about. Since this isn't a class in MHCology, same way it wasn't a class in complementology, right? We're not going to talk so much about right, these individual gene products. Right? When you read the book, right, they talk about the nomenclature that you need to be able to identify right, an HLAC gene somewhere sitting in the MHC, sitting in that MHC, right, the DNA of the MHC. It's the address of that individual gene, of that individual protein. We don't care so much about that. But right, there are similarities between the human HLA, uh, MHC complex and the human MHC complex. So that shows that there's some sort of genetic similarity, right? There's some sort of evolutionary continuity that's taking place. So when you talk about humans or mouse, Class one, class 1 molecules in humans are right in the D region, and in the mouse, they're in the A, the B, or the C region. They're also in the K region in humans. In class 2 molecules, they're in the IA or the IE, and here in the mouse, they're in the DP, DP the DQ, or the DR. And then as we get closer and closer and closer and closer, we can start to funnel this down more specifically, more specifically, more specifically to each individual gene. Okay? So, right, the most important part for us as looking for MHC molecules are how they're going to work. Right? How they're going to be able to do this. 
carry out their function of presenting, right, saying here, immune system, help, right? How are they going to be able to present it? Well, the, let's mean we got to look at the protein structure, right, because the proteins are going to be the important part, right? The proteins are the scaffolding to be able to present this peptide, okay? So, class one molecules are basically a heterodimer. They have two chains. They have a 44,000 MHC-encoded heavy chain, and that's called the alpha chain. And again, this alpha chain has nothing to do with, uh, right, with the, with the alpha heavy chain. It's just a nomenclature, right? We're going to use the Greek, letters for, the Greek letters for nomenclature. So it has a, an alpha chain, right, encoded, if it, we're talking about humans, in the A, B, or the C region. So by definition, it's a class one molecule. And it also has a 12,000 non-MHC encoded, right? I just told you how important the MHC is, and now all of a sudden, here I am, right? Sort of saying that this beta chain, it's called beta macroglobulin, isn't even encoded in the MHC, right? So all the importance of the MHC, right? Part of the molecule for the class one molecule isn't even located in the MHC, but that's okay. Right? That's one of nature's little tricks. So, uh, we won't put this up yet. So we got three domains, right? The alpha protein for presentation of peptides is the more important one. We have three domains of this alpha protein. We have the peptide binding region, right? So that clearly has something to do, right, with where the peptide is going to be able to sit in relationship to the molecule, right, on the external surface of the cell. And that's encoded in the alpha-1 and alpha-2 regions. We have an alpha-3 region that is immunoglobulin-like, right? And that associates with the beta chain. This makes MHC molecules part of the immunoglobulin supergene family, right? They all have that immunoglobulin fold. And then we have a transmembrane region and a cytoplasmic region, right? We need to signal. It has the transmembrane region so it can sit in the membrane itself. So here's the alpha-1 domain. Here's the alpha-2 domain. Here's the alpha-3 domain, right? It's anchored onto the cell surface. It's a cell surface protein, so it has this transmembrane-spanning region with a whole bunch of hydrophobic amino acids, and it has a cytoplasmic tail. And here's a look at it in this ribbon diagram, the alpha-2, the alpha-1, beta-2 macroglobulin, and right, the alpha-3 domain that contains the immunoglobulin folds. We will continue talking about MHC molecules on Wednesday.